Hello, my name is Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant. I coach some of the world's top executives and management teams, helping them achieve bigger and more meaningful results than ever before. In this season, I'm speaking with C-suite leaders from around the globe to find out what the COVID-19 pandemic has taught them and what wisdom they have to share for other leaders. Welcome to Leadership Lessons for Challenging Times. In this conversation, I speak with Alan Baker. Alan is the CEO of Clario Tech, a business-to-consumer cybersecurity company. And in this discussion, uh, Alan talks about, first of all, how he could find opportunity in such a saturated uh, market filled with so many incumbents um, as a relatively small uh, eight or 900-person company um, and really carve out something unique. Also, we also then get, then get into COVID and uh, the whole uh, pivot uh, and navigation that Alan had to take the company through as part of that, uh, and how he was able to bring the best out of people, uh, how all problems in the business are, end up always being people problems, um, how all value in the business is created by people. And really what the fundamental principles are that Alan sees that really never go away and that he comes back to in all the different CEO roles that he's had. So I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you will too. Enjoy Leadership Lessons for Challenging Times with Alan Baker of Clariotech. Hi, Alan. Hi, Richard. Great to have you um, here. Thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. Actually, it's been a long time coming, so I'm uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, indeed. Well, hey, before we jump in, why don't you give us some context? Just take a minute or two to explain you know, who you are and what uh, Clariotech uh, is and does. Yeah, so um, somebody once described me very recently, actually, in, uh, in some media, a veteran of the technology industry. I'm not sure I like the veteran bit, but uh, what the connotations are. So, yeah, I've been in IT sector for nearly 30 years um, and spent most of the last 20 years either transforming businesses or growing them. And, and I've been in everything from director in Oracle, um, acquired by Accenture. I've also been chairman of four companies, um, three of which went through successful exits. So almost everything I've done has been leading major type of high growth scenarios or, or going through some kind of significant mm -hmm. transformations. Um, for the last uh, just under um, two years, uh, I've spent a lot of time in Ukraine, believe it or not, um, looking at a business which we subsequently uh, called Comtech, that owned a, a product called MacKeeper, uh, and which we subsequently acquired, I uh, set a new company up in London called Clariotech and acquired the IP and the resources of uh, Comtech and we are about to launch a brand new product into the market in a couple of weeks' time, all around cybersecurity. So Clariotech is, um, Richard, the only way I can describe this is what appealed to me is I looked at a market that was at least 10 years old, where all of the players in the market were doing the same thing and saying the same thing, and almost all of it was around antivirus. And my kind of philosophy in business has always been once you get beyond the tech, tell me what the tech is doing to make a difference in yeah. business. What problem is it solving? Because unless you understand that, 
you don't understand the value of what you're delivering and how to deliver it. So what I saw was an industry, a sizable industry that, that was ripe for um, disruption because unfortunately cybercrime has grown at 40% a year. And you know, latest estimates are it will hit $6 trillion by the end of 2021. Um, and business to consumer, which is what we're about, the consumer, uh, is hugely misunderstood. And mm. Clario is all about making it easy, using a completely different tone of voice, having a unique user interface that's like nothing in the market. It's, we right. personalize it, so it's all about you. We talk to you as an individual, so it's, hey, Richard, that's how we engage mm -hmm. with you. And we've also then integrated what we are calling human intelligence, which is a, a kind of a, a redirection from artificial intelligence. Because when you look at the market today, the headlines are about Facebook getting a $4 billion of total fines over the last few years, losing people's data, or British Airways losing uh, people's data and getting a 185 million pound fine. They don't talk about the fact that hundreds of thousands of people's lives were affected by those data breaches. So even when it's about a consumer company losing data, they never talk about the true victim of a crime, which is a consumer. So Clario is all about taking a completely different approach. We don't talk technology. We talk about your money, your data, your browsing, your network. We don't talk about anything that confuses people. Okay. And for the first time ever, we're engaging you in cybercrime. Got it. Okay, so cybersecurity for consumers in a quite a different, different way, uh, different different approach. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and as you say, it's a business which has got a, you're in London, but there's business, large number of employees I know in Ukraine. So that adds another level of complexity, I guess, to you as, yep. a, as, as an executive. So tell us a bit more. Um, you know, obviously we're living pretty crazy times. Yeah, 2020 has been an amazing year, uh, not always for the good reasons, but um, you know, what, what happened for you uh, in, in this whole, you know, the last couple of months? How has COVID um, forced you to adapt as a business? I mean, what's been the biggest um, challenges that you've had to wrestle with as, a, as the senior leader? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because somebody once told me that cloud computing accelerated enormously in 2009 following the banking crash because companies weren't prepared to make large capital investments so cloud-based you know buy as you eat or yeah. drink was suddenly appealing and people got over some of the hurdles and i think the big technological advance we're now going to see is remote working you know, most companies have avoided it. They've avoided it with assumptions that productivity would fall. You'd have security issues, you'd have infrastructure issues. But fortunately, I think, you know, there was a lot of tech arrived at the right time. Um, yeah. Remote video conferencing grew up over the last two years. And now what we see, particularly for us, we actually didn't have a policy for remote working. And within one week, we moved 830 people to remote. Um, wow. and surprisingly without any hiccups. So um, not only did it happen smoothly, Richard, it also 
did something quite contrary to what most people would have predicted. Our productivity has actually gone up, uh, which was probably bucking any kind of predicted trends you'd see with this. When you dig into it, you understand why, right? People are very focused. They are stuck at a desk. They mm. are also with isolation, haven't had any distractions. So I think the challenge with COVID is for us, yeah, we, we've got productivity up and people are working well and the morale is high in the business, but it's still quite novel. The next phase is what does the blend of office plus remote working look like because you can't go yeah. back to just pure office working going forward it also Absolutely. triggers think, some really interesting conversations yeah yeah let me just cool. jump in because i think i've seen this a lot right there is in covid there's been a big energy boost um of the initial crisis response all hands on deck you know we need to right the ship make sure we're okay and as you said, it's also novel. For, you know, it was novel, perhaps, for, for certain companies or certain teams. Um, obviously not for everybody, but certainly the entire for remote working, it was novel. Um, and yep. what I'm seeing now is that there's definitely an energy dip that happens, right? Because suddenly people go, okay, it's not new anymore. We're in this for the long haul. The world's not getting back to normal straight away. There's gonna, you know, it's it's still a bit complicated, and there is a, yeah, there's a bit of an energy dip, bit of a morale dip, actually a creativity dip potentially, right? Because it's okay when you're in crisis mode, where everyone's laser focused on what they need to deliver, but then suddenly when everyone takes a bit of a breather, yep. it's that cross-functional collaboration, that creativity. You know, not just working in your own team with your own team calls and, you know, but actually thinking more expansively about the business. Uh, seeing those are the kind of challenges that are now coming down the line for a lot of companies. Yeah, no, I definitely can see that because, you know, even if you look at your social network now, people joke and say, I can't do another quiz, right? So a lot of the work we do is we have drinks evenings, we've had fancy dress evenings, we've had quiz evenings, just to keep morale together. Hmm. Um, I jump in on team meetings, so um, just to hear what people have got to say, how they're feeling. But all of that doesn't have a, a long-term fix there, I think. Now the next bit is to contemplate what do you do next to support a remote work stream longer. Um, There's positives too, right, Richard? You know, I, I think the IT sector has been notorious, like a lot of sectors, in the way you support women in the workplace, particularly people with young families. So mm. there's this now remote working model has, has destroyed the myth that says you can't be productive at home. Um, I think also we recognize one big thing here. We talk about work-life balance. Well, life has just encroached, work has just encroached on life. Now it's about a life-work balance, not a work-life balance. So, you know, when I'm talking to my teams, I say, look, if your kids run into the middle of a conference meeting, don't get embarrassed. That's just what we've enforced here. We brought it to them, not the other way around. So nobody gets yeah. stressed. So I think we're all thinking differently, but now it gives us a chance to say, how do you support families in the workplace better by allowing remote working? How do we change our models to support this? Because we don't have an excuse anymore. We've seen it can work. Mm. So yeah. those barriers have just been torn down. We now have to think differently 
we have to architect a different working environment for people going forward. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what about what about the decisions that you've been making in this time? Obviously, you had to maybe move everyone to remote work. Have there been decisions which have been tough to make or uh, challenging in some way in this, in this time? Yeah, look, I, I chair a company um, that uh, called Arc Solutions, who are a reg tech company. And because it's B2B, Arc can continue to grow, but they've been through that furlough program. So on one side as a chairman, I'm seeing uh, what's happening in a business that I'm involved in. And then on the other side as a CEO, um, uh, Clarotech is a B2C company. And when you're at home, you're now dependent on digital more than anything you've ever uh, depended on before in your life. Therefore, we are actually seeing significant growth. So for us, um, you know, COVID has, has had a business accelerated impact on us. So it hasn't impacted us um, in that way. Right. However, you know, lots of other things. We, we've recruited 30 odd people in the last um, few months. So onboarding people remotely, so they've not seen your, your really cool offices. They haven't met people in the same way. So trying to align people culturally when you're doing remote interviewing is a lot tougher, but we're learning how do you do that? skills and new, new approaches. Yeah. How do you do that, Alan? How, I mean, how have you um, found you can onboard people when, when there's nobody to, nowhere to go, right? Yeah, look, I think it's a combination of things. We show people our offices because our offices in Kiev, for example, have won awards. It's, it's a, a super cool kind of industrial um, operation where we have, uh, you know, um, a restaurant that serves um, several courses for breakfast, lunch, dinner. There's music room. It has English teachers, it has a gym, uh, and it's a super, super cool environment. But we show pictures to people. We get them to talk to a broad mm. range of people in the teams. And we also can, you can interview, which is really good as well. You can interview with five, six people on a call quite comfortably. So yeah. they get that feeling um, of what type of organization you are just by, in many respects, it was a bit odd before, right, Richard? Or oh, you're only meeting this person on a video call. Now, it's cool that you're meeting a broader group of people on a video call and yeah. people don't see it as strange. So I think as yes. human beings, we quickly adapt, right? It's, so, it's funny really, yeah. because I mean, I, um, yeah, as you know, I worked for Cisco for over 10 years and starting in 2006. And to be honest, that you know, they were bringing in telepresence and video and WebEx at that time. And they really made a big pivot pretty much, you know, pretty much back then. And so I remember, you know, Yep. stopping flying to the US to do projects, but doing it purely via video and get this benefit from just having to walk down the corridor to do my meeting rather than to, you know, spend a day on a plane. And it's really interesting. It reminds me of that comment that the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, because suddenly yes. it's like people are <laughs> in like, what's happened is everything is kind of caught up with that kind of way of working which kind of multinationals had already kind of adopt, you know, certain multinationals had already kind of adopted. Um, but suddenly it's like every, you know, every scout troop and, you know, kind of almost any, you know, any, any organization at any level, whether it's super local or whatever, has had to experiment and, and survive and thrive on, on this technology. So it's uh, super interesting. What about... Yeah, Richard, um, you, you raise a good point because... No, no, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I, no, I said you raise a good point because 
if you worked remotely, and I'm sure you've done this before, where you know you might be in a remote office where the majority of people might be in America or something, you always felt like an outlier. Yeah. Now, because we've been through a prolonged period where we're all outliers, so we're all part of a bigger hive yeah. network now. I don't think anyone's ever going to feel like an outlier in the same way as before. So I think mm. it's it's had a seismic impact in the way we will regard ourselves going forward. You can be a one-man office now and not feel isolated. Um, yes. So, yeah, I think it will trigger a totally different mindset for people. Mm. Yeah, one of the one of the kind of elements in the X quadrant, you know, approach is talking about success systems, and we always we always we always realise looking back that our success has been built on getting certain things right and being able to kind of replicate that almost as an instinct. But I think looking forward, there is going to be that. Like, how do we create a success system around working remotely? Yeah, for example, um, I think it works a lot better when everybody's remote or everybody's in the room because actually you have a richer interaction when everybody's remote than when you have half and half but culturally companies are going to need to think about that are we going to have are we going to have days where we all come in the office we all um you know go out for lunch we all do whatever uh and then certain days when we're all remote or is it going to be kind of pick and choose i've seen the pick and choose and actually it creates some interesting dynamics like you never see the whole team because somebody's always you know half the team's already always out to the office and so i think there's some care will be needed to actually figure out what a hybrid culture looks like um you know and what constraints you put on that culture yeah I did um, an executive networking remote um, uh, meeting last week and uh, with a, a group called 360 Leaders. So they had an incredible group of people together, Richard. And um, uh, one of the people on there uh, had founded a business with two other people he'd never met face-to-face. Yeah. Interesting. That's in that's a big switch in thinking right yeah. so yeah. um but it tells you what this has done and and it also mm-hmm. i think what's important for people to remember here nature's just shaken the world and it shows us to be super vulnerable right so when you look out into the future we no longer can say there's no chance of another pandemic and we can no longer say that even um the major changes in global warming are not going to have potentially huge impacts on our future in some way. So I think the way people think about risk has changed. Therefore, no matter what happens, how back to normal we get in the next, say, from the next eight months out to the next two or three years, people are always going to have to remember this and go, I need alternative plans. So that multidimensional working model is going to be important. We all adopt it because something could change again and you've got to be ready. It can't catch you out again. So as you just said, then having a model where you should have this multi-dimension is going to be important to you because it's actually mitigating risk. Yeah. absolutely. So I mean, I, I think yeah. it should come into our culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, one of the things I, t- I talk about these days is, you know, is anti-fragility. Um, whether you know this concept, you know, the idea is that, yeah. you know, fragile is something that breaks when you, when you get, when it comes under stress, robust it doesn't change 
but anti-fragile, it gets stronger, like the human body. You know, if when, we, when we stay in a hospital bed or whatever, we wither away. We need some stresses in the system to become healthy and to get stronger. You go to the gym, you build your muscles by sub subjecting them to stress. And actually, we need to build organizations which are a bit less lean and a bit less minimalist uh, and where we have some redundancies and so we don't have single points of failure. Because the minimalists, you know, is great when it's all working in a very stable environment. But, you know, if minimal, you know, if there's suddenly a shock to the system and that you know, he hasn't got any toilet paper or whatever it is in his home, you know, or any food in the fridge, then he's going to be outperformed by the guy who's got a, ba a basement full of, you know, a bunker right in his basement with stocks. Um, and yeah. and the, other, the flip side is the upside. So you can protect yeah. the downside, funny, but you Richard. also need to yeah. create opportunities. Yeah. To exploit that. It's, it's strange. I think the analogy I see is um, I used to chair a company called Company I, which we sold to Symantec. And that was all about um, fault tolerance systems and storage systems. And in the beginning, if you remember, fault tolerance was a backup, right? Then it become when your machine went down, you had another machine you switched on. And then mm. it switched to hot, hot. It had to literally, in sub-second response times, replace the, the failed system yeah. and i think what we'll see is the same you have to apply that philosophy to the new world we're in now what is my hot hot look like we were forced mm. into this made mistakes yeah. we can't afford to make the same mistakes again we need to be more prepared and as you just said you build some redundancies into that you have to yeah and then i think on the upside as i was saying the upside is actually how as a company do we get better at being open to chance and to serendipity uh, and new opportunities and then when we when we find a good one to really be able to jump on it and exploit it you know to really open ourselves up to the upside of all this volatility because again we lock in too much to plans and um and everything else and and systematize everything we can almost reduce our ability to to grab the opportunity that arises to the left or to the right of our main our main pathway yeah, look, so, so we talked about um, remote working, but also there's a huge acceleration in digital economy here, right, for everyone. So anybody that's traditional bricks and mortar uh, that has either a plan to or partial plan to, to digitize some aspects of their business will be thinking, how do I accelerate that now? It, it's a, in business, you want to be in control, right, Richard? Mm. Now, there's so much of what's just happened that's outside of our control. Different countries' responses to mm. COVID means that access to those countries physically will now be determined by whatever their um, contamination rates are, whatever the yeah. Um, yeah. challenges they have, and whatever their rules are, right? It's outside of my control. So suddenly, there are aspects of a business that in the past, you felt like you were in control of. Suddenly, you have no control over. So how do no. you break that risk down and say, yeah. I now need an alternative model that doesn't mean I have to fly to that country to have meetings or it doesn't mean I need my workforce to physically move across boundaries or borders to be able to um, conduct business? Because what if, for example, America has a longer problem with COVID than, than uh Europe and Europe opens up or America doesn't or countries ban Britain because we've got some of the worst um, death rates in Europe at the yeah. moment for a longer period than other countries in Europe 
all of those things are outside of our control and therefore yeah. you have to mitigate and, and and digitization is the logical mitigation for this absolutely absolutely so hey let's let's get personal a second Alan. how's this period forced you to grow as a leader or perhaps asking it another way, you know, what leadership lessons would you give to yourself, you know, 10 years ago, you know, the younger you 10 years ago, you know, what, what have you learned over this period? And perhaps, over, you know, before as you've taken on this very different, you know, Ukrainian based company, you know, what's, what's been your growth path recently? Do you know, Richard, um, I, I was talking to somebody in my team um, who's an outstanding um, contributor in our team. And um, I was talking to her about her personal development recently. Something that you grow into over time as a leader is that your confidence grows because you go through periods where you doubt yourself. And what I have learned is that if I had... I had less doubt about myself and trusted myself earlier. What I'd learned were good lessons and they were fundamentals about business. And those same fundamentals apply to every business. Different shades in there, but they apply. Good is good, right? Standards mm. are standards. And never doubt those. So you keep the faith in some of those things. It's super important. Um, as a leader, I think my, my real strength has been to treat people as individuals, right? Nobody is managing. I have 835 people in our organization. I don't manage 835 people. I manage eight or nine people. And each one of them manages a group of people. So what you have to do is make sure that you instill in those the things that you think works and make sure that pushes down through the organization because you can't do it top to bottom mm. yourself. Yeah. So the key thing for me is, everything is personal it's never not personal so understand that an individual has different motivations they have different stresses in their life you can have broad principles but to get the best out of people you need to engage you need to understand them you need to understand what motivates them and what challenges they have to overcome because everyone is different and if you're prepared to put the timing you get a lot more out of the people that work for you and a lot more support for you in the journey you're on as a leader as well um, and you get a lot more out of the company that you're leading and it's more fun because it is personal i don't care what anybody says yes. in my mind it's personal right it's personal. yeah it's so a true personal. leader understands that yeah yeah i mean almost any issue a business has it comes down to people when you go back down the chain you know um and I mean, to be honest, Alan, I should just get you to do my marketing, I think, because, you know, you just described the, you know, the, the thing so perfectly, right, that um, you've got this big organization, you can't change the mindset and the culture of all those people, but you can work on these eight or nine people that you have. And that's the journey of, you know, transformation, yeah. right, creating that into a team uh, and going deep into them and understanding not just your own skills, but how it's, you know, how, what you say, what you do, but how you adjust that to who they are, right? Often as leaders, we just kind of push things out at people and we don't adapt what we do to them and it doesn't land as well. And then the second level is multiplication. So you have to right? put the time in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. You've got, to, you've got to learn and, and create a, a language to, I mean, for me, the, the, the key part is multiplication. So, you know, you, you can do it 
but that only get to eight or nine, the key, the magic happens is to when those eight or nine are able to replicate what they have learned and experienced with you, with their teams. Yeah, so, so Richard, one of the things we did, we did a complete cultural transformation in the business. So we took um, the management team because we, 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 were, we were becoming consumer champion business and that means putting a customer first, that's a cultural change. We have a culture of continuous improvement. We have a culture of, of trust and collaboration. Now they're words until you enact them. So we did a roadshow around every office we run multiple events with everyone in the management team owned a part of this. They own part of our, our cultural um, uh, DNA. So we call them mm -hmm. DNA workshops. What does this mean? And we showed the tone of voice for our company. We explained to people what this actually means every day to you as individuals. And we did it office yeah. by office, groups of 12, 14 people at a time. And the, it was a huge commitment from the management team. But without it, it's just a PowerPoint that you presented a quarterly update and it just doesn't carry weight through a large organization. Absolutely. So, you know what people said to me, I give a lot of time up to that process, but it was probably the most valuable thing I did um, for, for yeah. several months really was to yeah. make that commitment. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's what I call the high value activity. You know, you need to put your effort especially as a CEO, on the biggest levers, right? I think transforming the culture has such a massive impact. It's a high value activity, right? Much, you know, it's, it's up there, it's one of the top. Um, so let's um, just wrap up very yeah. quickly. I know we've been speaking for, for a while and um, it's been fascinating, but I want to respect your time. I'm just gonna ask you three or four quick, uh, quick fire questions just to, um, just to find out a bit about what some of the inputs have been into your life uh, and leadership. So what's your favorite, book what books made an impact oh crikey mm, probably to kill a mockingbird is one of my favorite ever books it's not a big book um but it, it opened up something which is very topical now about equality and championing of equality and but it, it was uh a fascinating book and a moment in American literature, which I loved as well. So yeah, that's certainly the book that I always think about. If somebody says, tell me what your favorite one is. Um, mm. Great. What about your uh, what productivity tip? What, you know, what, what have you found works really well just to help you to get stuff out the door? You know, Richard, it, it's a really interesting question because, um, uh, I was talking to my CMO recently and uh, Dom was uh, head of digital at BBC and uh, uh, mobile um, operator Sony and Sony Ericsson. And there's so much work to get done when you're going through such a huge transformation in a business. And it's just don't sweat the small stuff, right? There, there are things that make fundamental differences in your business. There's stuff that you cannot change just leave it for now and focus on where you can have a material impact where you've got a KPI attached to it. We're about to implement OKRs for the first time. We, we hadn't done it before because we weren't ready to truly understand what was important, right? The, everything was important. Now we've got to break it down going forward yeah. into what are we going to focus on for the next, you know, 12, 24 months. And OKRs give us that, that model around that. But up until that point, 
would have probably got those things wrong because you were still in this discovery. And one of my biggest learnings, and I think is, and I've talked to people about this quite a lot, the smartest people don't have all the answers. They have the smartest questions. So keep asking, keep digging, keep discovering, because if you don't first seek to understand, you will make the wrong decisions. But equally, you have to make quick decisions once you do actually get to that point of discovery. Yeah. So yeah, do the things that you know you can affect that have a material gain or impact on the business. The small stuff can wait. It can be fixed along the way because you've got to keep moving. Um, and sometimes you can stand still too long while you're thinking you're overwhelmed right, by too yeah. many things. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, last question. Um, what's your favorite kind of leadership quote or motto? Wow. Okay. Um, do you know, there was one, um, and I can't actually remember the quote, uh, crikey. It's, uh, it was uh, a Winston Churchill one. I don't want to misquote him. Um, uh, and I actually read it yesterday and it was just a reminder of, of something super important. But my favorite quote that I've almost put in every presentation that I start with them. And the reason I, I wasn't talking about this as a leadership quote, because it's anonymous. Okay. And that is that the definition of madness is to keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. It's the kernel of change, right? You have to do things differently if you want a different result. And people yeah. struggle at times to understand that simple philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that quote too. And um, one of the things I've, I really focus in on in my own business is yeah, helping people actually, um, I call it habit mastery, because you, know, you can read all the books and all the great ideas and all the things you can do in your business. But unless you as a leader can actually implement new habits sustainably into your own life and, in, and as help your team create new team habits, um, then everything falls away. You know, you kind of have a birth and it falls away and you forget it. And then you can, so actually like learning the kind of components to implementing and trans creating transformation one habit at a time, I think it's really important because of what you said, it comes down to behaviors and it comes down to specific behaviors and processes and habits in very specific moments often. I mean, when I talk with leaders, often it's like, it's not just a general thing, you know, like, you know, take it back into the personal realm, you know, losing weight is pretty hard to do, but not eating chocolate, um, um, you know, at 4 p.m. when I'm feeling snackish becomes something which is quite manageable if you focus in on it, you know, so you can define yeah. behaviors and adopt them or, or raise them if you're very specific. Yeah, and, and that's interesting too. So uh, uh, one of my other key philosophies is always aim for the stars because if you land on the moon, you're a long way up, right? So <laughs> uh, you have to get people to break through glass ceilings. And, and sometimes, Richard, you can give people this big vision and they love it, they get behind you. But you've then got to break it down into each incremental change you make rolls up into something huge. Yeah. But if you only talk about you know, next year we will grow our business, yeah. hopefully, you know, 40% and we expect to. But if you said that to someone, we're going to grow by 40% next year, let's do it. People look at you and go, oh, 
But then when you break it down into what are those improvements look like and how do each one of those roll up into that 40%, then everybody knows their role in that piece of improvement yeah. that they own. So it is yeah. breaking it down into manageable pieces that make that effective large change. Yeah, I mean, it's called, I call it building the bridge. You know, you have people who, who mentally live in the future and can see all that. And you have mental, people who mentally live in the present. Uh, and it's quite hard for the two to meet up. And you have to do that process, as you said, of actually yeah. breaking down the vision into what are the steps we're going to take so that we can actually, you know, and actually people, normally the visionaries don't see all the issues and the people with all, you can actually see all the practical things to resolve don't necessarily uh, naturally see where it could all lead them. So it, that's why the teamwork part that's is so That's a is great, so great comment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Richard, you're yeah. spot on with that. And, and, and by the way, it's also a recognition that people don't need to be the jack of all trades. You want specialists. You want the yeah. people with a great vision and you want the people with the pragmatic operational delivery and together they make great teams. Yes. Sometimes I think we beat ourselves up as both leaders and, and sometimes we, we can hold people too many objectives underneath where look at what their skill set is and make them focus on that. You can improve yeah. their weaknesses, but don't expect them to become a master of something they're not. Yeah. Be the master of what they really are good at and get them to improve that. And then have other people with those skills to balance the right teams. And I think that's so critical and people forget that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's that multiplying factor of teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. Not, even, not always easy, yeah. but again, you've got to have this framework to understand how no. you're going to do it. If you just kind of wing it, it becomes hard. Yeah. So getting that language and that model in your head, of how are we going to get these people to work well together uh, is super important. Well, hey, Alan, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been really uh, enjoyable as ever and fascinating. And uh, thanks for peeling back the covers a little bit into uh, Clario Tech and uh, running this international business. And um, just some of your lessons from the last, uh, well, from, I guess, several decades of leadership um, expertise. So thank you. Richard, it's been a pleasure. And uh, sometimes you don't get a chance to think about these things. So you've really provoked some additional thinking in me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Dal. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's turn to you. If you're a top performer who's already accomplished great things, and yet knows that there's a whole new level of impact and potential open to you. Then why don't we get on the phone and strategize on how to get you there? Head over to xquadrant.com forward slash speak to find out more. Until next time, be bold and be purposeful.